bringing you the latest in tax credit news. This is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, April 14th, 2020. I hope that you and your family are safe and well. Now, in this week's podcast, I'm going to continue our coverage of COVID-19 responses. I'm going to start by discussing proposals that are being discussed in Congress for future phases of COVID-19 relief legislation. I'm also going to review enacted and proposed regulatory relief and guidance related to COVID-19. I also have information on comment letters that the Novogratz Working Groups have submitted on proposed Community Reinvestment Act regulation changes. And then I'm going to close with a summary of deadline extensions for certain CDFI fund programs and low-income tax rate deadlines in California and Indiana. These extensions are COVID-19 related. Now, we have a lot to cover for you or cover with you this week. So if you're ready, let's get started. Now, as you know from last week, Congress is out of session. Well, now we know that they're at least out of session until May 4th. That's because the return date was pushed back last week from April 20th to May 4th. That said, congressional leaders are still working on additional COVID-19 relief legislation. And in fact, while they're technically out of session, there was a pro forma session where Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell last week tried to approve a measure by unanimous consent. So what was the measure? Well, Leader McConnell tried to provide an additional $250 billion for the Paycheck Protection Program. The original funding for the Paycheck Protection Program was $349 billion, but that amount is widely expected to be fully subscribed very soon. And my colleague Megan Murphy moderated a webinar last week on applying for Paycheck Protection Program forgivable loans. If you missed it, you can still watch the webinar. I'll tweet out the link so you can watch and listen. Well, the Paycheck Protection Program, or PPP, is a Small Business Administration forgivable loan program that incentivizes businesses to maintain their workforce during the COVID-19 crisis. Under the PPP, the Small Business Administration will forgive loans if all employees are kept on the payroll for eight weeks and if the loan is used to pay certain expenses. Now, demand for PPP loans has overwhelmed lenders since they began processing loans April 3rd. In some reports, are there over $100 billion of loans have already been made. Now, I said that Majority Leader McConnell tried to provide an additional $250 billion for the PPP loan program because while he tried, he was unsuccessful. Now, why was he unsuccessful? Well, that's because Democratic Senator Ben Cardin of Maryland objected to the measure. And instead, Senator Cardin called for a vote on the Senate Democrats' alternative package. So what's in the Democrats' alternative package? Well, Democrats support expanding Small Business Administration assistance, similar to Republicans, but Democrats do think that the small business money should be allocated among more programs. Democrats also want to add other provisions, including additional funding of $100 billion dollars for healthcare workers and providers, and $150 billion for cities and states. Cardin proposed this. Leader McConnell objected to it. As a consequence, neither bill passed. Now, as I record this podcast, negotiations between the Democrats and the Republicans on an interim package is continuing. We'll send out a tweet when something is agreed to. Could be this week, could be next week. Maybe that the PPP program has to run out of money before the Democrats and Republicans can be spurred to action. Now, aside from the interim package, Democrats are also working on a follow-up bill to the CARES Act. 
Now, there have been discussions of such a follow-up bill, including infrastructure investments, as well as more direct payments for individuals and other measures. And to that end, the National Multifamily Housing Council and the National Apartment Association did send a joint letter to congressional leaders last week. In that letter, they urged Congress to include rental housing assistance in future COVID-19 relief legislation. Now, these groups' recommendations include expanding the low-income housing tax credit in order to increase production of affordable housing. Groups also called for Congress to allow developers and owners of residential properties to clearly be eligible for PPP forgivable loans. The letter also recommends enhancing opportunity zones to incentivize housing rehabilitation, as well as the letter suggests creating a middle-income housing tax credit to support workforce housing. The letter said that dire economic circumstances related to the pandemic would devastate the affordability, availability, and stability of rental housing nationwide. Of note, the National Multi-Housing Council also reported that the percentage of households that had make, made their rent payments as of April 5th was 12% higher than the prior month. More specifically, less than 70%, only 69% of renters paid their April rents by April 5th. Whereas the prior month, 81% of renters had paid their March rents by March 5th, a decrease from 81% to 69% one month later. The National Multi-Housing Council and the National Apartment Association said that housing providers are bracing for an even bigger uptick in late and skipped rental payments for May and possibly June. Now, this shortfall in rent payments was anticipated. The only real questions have been, and they continue to be, what's the depth and the length of the shortfall in rent payments? Todd Crow with PNC and I wrote a blog post at the end of March on this very specific topic. I'll tweet out the link. Now, let's move from potential legislation to released regulatory relief. This is regulatory relief that the IRS has provided. Specifically, the IRS last Thursday published Notice 2020-23. This notice provides additional relief for taxpayers affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. This notice is an update to Notice 2020-18, which was issued two weeks ago, and to 2020-20, which was issued last week. Now, in good news for Opportunity Zones participants, Notice 2020-23 extended the 180-day deadline to invest capital gains in qualified opportunity funds. The deadline was extended to July 15th. This extension applies to taxpayers whose deadlines originally fell between April 1st and July 15th. In other words, if you were planning to invest capital gains into a qualified opportunity fund and your original 180-day deadline to invest ended sometime between April 1 and July 15th, you now have until July 15th to invest those gains. Now, I'll discuss a little bit later in this podcast some more expansive requests that the Novigrad Opportunity Zones Working Group has submitted. Notice 2020-23 also referenced all time-sensitive transactions identified in Revenue Procedure 2018-58 as eligible for relief. That's a mouthful. You may want to review that ruling. But I will note, this does include good news for Section 1031 transactions, like-kind exchanges, as well as a host of other time-sensitive transactions. And with respect to a like-kind exchange or deferred property exchange under Section 1031, replacement property, as you probably know, generally has to satisfy both a 45-day identification period and 180-day exchange period from the date the property, the relinquished property, is disposed of. Under Notice 2020-23, both the identification period and exchange period deadlines are now extended 
to this universal July 15th date. July 15th is truly the new tax day, at least for 2020. Now, deadline relief under 2020-23 is automatic to qualifying taxpayers, so there's no need to apply for that extension. Now, if you have any need for more information on how these deadline extensions affect you, I'd encourage you to contact a Novogratic partner near you. Now, the IRS last week also released Revenue Procedure 2020-23. Now, that's not to be confused with Notice 2020-23, which I just finished describing. This Revenue Procedure 2020-23 is good news for many low-income housing tax credit property owners. The guidance allows partnerships to amend their returns, their 2018 returns, and some 2019 returns due to changes made in the CARES Act. At least that's the reason that the IRS issued this guidance, because there are changes made in the CARES Act that partnerships may want to avail themselves of. Now, as you know, the CARES Act was the sweeping legislation that focused on COVID-19 relief. It was a phase three legislation, it's also called. Well, it included a technical correction to allow qualified improvement property for 100% bonus depreciation. Now, that's important, but not so much for low-income and tax credit property owners. For low-income and tax credit property owners, the important thing was last week's guidance. The IRS guidance allows partnership returns to be amended as long as those amendments are filed by September 30th. Now, the guidance was driven, at least in part, by the effort to allow partnerships to qualify and amend to claim 100% bonus depreciation. But the guidance also said that amended returns could be filed for, and I quote, any other tax attributes to which the partnership is entitled by law. Well, for low percent tax credit partnerships, that means the ability to file amended returns and claim low-income housing tax credits. Now, you might wonder why is that significant? Well, often property partnerships file their returns before they receive their Forms 8609 from their credit allocating agency. And as you likely know, Form 8609 is the form that allows taxpayers, gives them the right to claim the low-income housing tax credit. Well, filing before receiving Forms 8609 wasn't widely viewed as a problem until 2018. That's because before then, partnerships would often file an initial return without low-income housing tax credits reported, and then they'd amend their return once they received their Forms 8609. Well, that all changed with the Bipartisan Budget Act of 2015. Long story short, the Bipartisan Budget Act of 2015 forbade partnerships from amending a return. It basically said, rather than amend your return, such that you restated the partnership return for a prior year, partnerships had to make what was called an Administrative Adjustment Request, or an AAR. And here's how it affected low-income and tax property owners. When the Forms 8609 were received, after a return was filed, reporting no tax credits, well, then the credits would be claimed in the year that the Administrative Adjustment Request, or the AAR, was filed. Not the year the original partnership return was filed, but when the AAR was filed, which meant credits would often be claimed a year or more after they were earned. Clearly, delaying receipt of tax credits isn't ideal for property owners due to adjusters and not due, not good for investors as they're getting their credits a year or two later. Well, last week's guidance will help for the year 2018 and for some 2019 returns. Under the guidance, partnerships can amend their returns by September 30th, 2020, which would replace any prior return for that taxable year. In short, it means local and taxable property owners can claim credits on their 2018 returns even if they previously filed an AAR once their Forms 8609 were received. Basically, it means 2018 
credits can be claimed in 2018 as long as you get your 8609s by September 30th of 2020 and file amended returns. Now, as I said earlier, I did note that the guidance also applies to 2019. That only applies to returns that were filed before the revenue procedure. And there can't, there's likely not very many of those because the guidance was issued last Wednesday and most local housing tax property owners that hadn't, didn't have their forms 8609s yet went ahead and extended their returns to September 15th with the hope and the expectation that they would get the forms 8609 by then and then report those credits on their 2019 returns. With all this in mind, I do want to note that it's always a good idea to submit your com- to submit your completed cost certifications to your state agency as soon as possible. This will avoid delays in getting your forms 8609 and help you avoid this issue. I also want to let you know that the Local Tax Working Group and many others are working to encourage the IRS to provide a solution to this issue, both for 2019 returns that have been filed and for future years, as well as for 2018 returns that may not get their 8609s in time to amend by September 30th of this year. In fact, Novogratz's own Mark Shelburne and Dirk Wallace did write a blog post explaining this change. I'll share the link in today's show notes and tweet it out. Also, if you did file a return in 2018 and didn't report the credits due you, this is an important opportunity. I'd urge you to call a Novogratz office near you to help you handle amending your 2018 return. I want to continue on the topic of COVID-19 relief and discuss the Novogratz Opportunity Zones Working Group's letter that was sent to Treasury and the IRS last week requesting relief from certain Opportunity Zones deadlines. One of the Working Group's requests was an extension to the 180-day investment period for capital gains. As I mentioned earlier, Notice 2020-23 extends the 180-day investment period until July 15th. That IRS notice was published two days after the Working Group's letter was submitted. And the working group also requested a 12-month extension to the 30-month substantial improvement period for property that is undergoing substantial improvement during the incident period. That's the COVID-19 pandemic incident period. The working group recommends giving qualified opportunity funds and upper qualified opportunities on businesses, QAFs and QASBs as they're known, 42 months to substantially improve property. Having additional time to substantially improve property is crucial especially as COVID-19 public safety measures are delaying or halting construction work and other work to start businesses across the country. Now, the working group also requested temporary modifications to regulations, including gross income safe harbors. When I mention gross income safe harbors, once again, as you likely know, at least 50% of the gross income of a qualified opportunity on business must be derived from the active conduct of a trader business in the opportunity zone. While the regulations do provide safe harbors that look to the location where services are performed for the Qualified Opportunity Zone businesses. While the COVID-19 pandemic and various shelter-in-place orders have forced many workers and independent contractors to telework from their homes, homes that may be outside of Opportunity Zones. Well, the Opportunity Zones Working Group recommends guidance clarifying that employees and independent contractors whose normal work locations are within an Opportunity Zone be deemed to be performing services within the Opportunity Zone, even if they're temporarily working outside of an Opportunity Zone as a result of the pandemic. Now, you can read more about the various Opportunity Zones Working Group recommendations on our website. I'll include a link to the letter in today's show notes and tweet it out as well. Now, as I record this podcast, you might be thinking, what about loan compensating tax credits? What about new market tax credits and relief there? Well, the Novogratz Loan Compensating Tax Credit Working Group 
as well as the New Marcus Tax Credit Working Group, are also drafting letters to request relief and guidance for their respective tax incentive communities. I'll share details of those letters in the coming weeks. I'd also encourage you to subscribe to the Novogratz Journal of Tax Credits, of course, if you haven't already. Our May issue features special coverage in the COVID-19 pandemic. Specifically, we discuss how the affordable housing, community development, and rural energy communities are responding to the COVID-19 crisis. I'll include a journal subscription link in today's show notes. So let's change gears for a moment on something that's not directly COVID-19 related, and then I do have a couple more COVID-19 bits of information to share. But changing gears for the moment, last week, the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, or the OCC, said that it will move forward with proposed Community Reinvestment Act regulations during the first half of 2020. First half of 2020 means by June 30th. This is despite the call to suspend non-COVID-19 related rulemaking that was called on by congressional Democrats, as well as many community development advocates. Now, a vast majority of investment in affordable housing and community development comes from banks that are motivated by CRA. That's why any changes to CRA regulations can have a significant effect on investments in those areas. Under the current CRA framework, ranks are evaluated on both qualitative and quantitative criteria. The proposed changes to CRA would move away from this evaluation method and would instead focus largely on dollar volume. It's a much more quantitative approach than the system currently in place. It's not completely quantitative, but it certainly skews more towards the quantitative approach. The main takeaway is that the proposed CRA changes would significantly lower the motivation of banks to invest in affordable housing and community development. Now, the OCC and FDIC released their proposed CRA changes for public comment last December. Federal Reserve, however, Federal Reserve being the third regulator that oversees compliance with CRA, did not sign on to that proposal. The Fed didn't indicate an interest in modernizing CRA regulations, but in a different way. And that different approach was described by Federal Reserve Governor Leo Brainerd in a January 8, 2020 speech. Getting back to the FDIC and the OCC, one of the changes proposed by them is replacing the three separate tests, the one for investment, one for lending, and one for services, with one dollar volume-driven evaluation framework. Once again, there's a variety of changes, but this is an overarching change. Community development advocates have criticized the proposed changes, and they would hurt low-income communities, those communities that need access to capital the most. Now, as I mentioned, the changes would likely make, bang, make banks less motivated to invest in community development tax credits. In response, three Novogratz working groups did submit comment letters on the proposed regulations to the OCC and the FDIC before the comment period closed last Wednesday. Working groups are the New Markets Tax Credit Working Group, the Opportunity Zones Working Group, and the Low-Income Housing Tax Credit Working Group. These groups include affordable housing and community professionals who work together to resolve technical administrative issues experienced by members of the group. And in their letters, New Markets Tax Credit Working Group and Low-Income Housing Tax Credit Working Group both expressed concern that investment in affordable housing and community development would significantly decrease. You know, a drop in investment could substantially slow affordable housing production and community development, and exacerbating a slowdown, or that would exacerbate a slowdown in affordable housing and community development, would be even more detrimental to low-income communities, this in light of the health and economic effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, the Opportunity Zones Working Group letter stated that the OCC and FDIC should ensure that CRA serves as a robust incentive for investment in Opportunity Zones. The OZ Working Group 
said that could be done by allowing for greater flexibility of the opportunities and incentive to qualify for CRA credit. Now, the comment letters also noted that removing the separate investment test would not provide sufficient motivation for banks to invest in communities that need it. Specifically, the working groups are concerned that a bank could obtain an outstanding or satisfactory rating without making any equity investments. Now, this could further hurt underserved communities that already lack access to equity. Three working groups conclude that meaningful CRA reform would boost lending, investment, and access to banking for traditionally underserved communities' populations. And finally, the members of these working groups did request that no new CRA rule be finalized before interagency coordination. As I mentioned earlier, the Fed has not been involved with the rules that were proposed by the FDIC and OCC, or at least didn't sign on to them. If the proposed changes were to be finalized without participation from the Fed, banks and lenders would have to comply with two separate evaluations, one from the Fed, the other from the OCC and FDIC. Trying to comply with two separate standards may be confusing and inefficient. The OCC and FDIC do expect to issue a final rule no later than the end of June, but the Novograd-led working groups have requested that the regulators make changes and offer another comment period before finalizing rules. An additional comment period could be even more important now as banks and community groups focus on emergency COVID-19 relief and address the fallout from the pandemic. Now, you can find a link to the work group's comment letters in today's show notes, and I do invite you to join a Novogratz working group or join all the groups and share your insights and comments. I'll include a link to join the working groups in today's show notes. But turning to other news, a number of other deadlines have been extended due to the COVID-19 pandemic. First, the CDFI fund extended the application deadline for two programs, namely the CDFI program and the Native American CDFI assistance or NACA program. Under the new deadlines, you now have until April 28th to contact staff with questions, and both programs now have an April 30th deadline to seek IT help and to submit the application for financial or technical assistance. I'll share the CDFI fund's announcement in today's show notes so you can see the specifics. And more importantly, if you do need assistance with these applications, please reach out now to my colleague, Bob Ibanez. If you don't have his contact information, email cpas at novaco.com or email me directly. And in state-level affordable news, two states have postponed deadlines. First, the California Tax Credit Allocation Committee has pushed the next application deadline for 4% low-income housing tax credits to May 15th. That application deadline was originally Friday. Now, California also delayed the readiness-to-proceed deadlines for 2019 second-round allocatees extended it to July 6th. If you have or need any assistance with your application, please reach out to my partner, Jim Kroger. And meanwhile, or my second change or extended deadline is in the state of Indiana. Indiana delayed a series of deadlines for local housing tax credit properties. First, the state has granted a six-month extension to meet the 10% test for properties that received the credit allocation in 2019. The agency also granted a 12-month extension for the place and service deadlines for properties that received their credit allocation in 2018. Indiana also delayed this year's application deadline for 9% credits until 120 days after the stay-at-home restrictions are lifted. The agency won't accept any new 4% credit applications. Now, it is likely that many other states will make or have already made similar adjustments. I should also let you know, if you're not already aware, we do have a special section in our COVID-19 resource page that's devoted to state housing agency responses and guidance. I'll share that website in the show notes so you can keep up to date as well 
and then I'll tweet it out. And as always, call a Novogratz office near you if you have questions about updated deadlines or requirements in your state. We do have experts in every state. Well, that brings you to the end of this week's report. But don't forget, next Friday, April 24th, is Novogratz's webinar on 2020 HUD rent and income limits. If you're a long-compensating tax credit property owner, manager, investor, or if you just want to learn more about HUD income limits, I do encourage you to register. I'll include a registration link in today's show notes and tweet it out as well. That's it for now. I'm Michael Novogratik. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived podcasts are available online at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. You can find related links referenced in this podcast in our show notes at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast. Novogratik and Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.